Hi, you're listening to Sundays at Sherman Bible. We're really glad you chose to join us today. The following message is from our pastor, Dennis Henderson. I have one piece of homework or housekeeping to take care of, and then uh, probably Jeff will remind you because this is important. We want you to get on both ends of, of this time. And that is this coming Saturday night right here in this auditorium at 6 o'clock, Shockwaves is taking place. And uh, I think that you need to be here if you're a parent of any of our children over in our children's ministry. If you, if you haven't got it, your kids haven't told you about it, well, I'm reminded it's going to be a fun hour or so right here in this auditorium uh, getting you to know more about our children's ministry and for your kids. So this is for parents and kids. Uh, there's going to be an event up here that I can't even begin to tell you about. It's going to be a night between Frank and I, and I've been waiting for this for 17 years, I think, 16 years now, and we're going to square off right up here, all right? And so you want to be here next Saturday night, and uh, we've got our corner girls. I mean, it's, it's going to be huge. So parents, don't miss it right up here on this stage before your very eyes. You think, uh, you know, the MMA thing? Nothing compared to this, all right? So be here, 6 o'clock, for shockwaves for all the parents and kids in our children's ministry. I will not reveal the names to protect the innocent. But a wife called her husband one afternoon and said, Honey, on your way home, would you mind stopping and getting some bread? And that husband, being a loving, self-sacrificing, serving incredible husband said sure I'll pick up a loaf of bread and so that husband stopped at one of the major stores in his town entered the store and he grabbed the cart and uh, started towards the bread and as he started towards the bread he went down the cereal aisle and he stopped and thought for a moment I wonder if we got cereal at home and so being an incredible husband he got his favorite cereal Honey Nut Cheerios. Put them in the basket. And of course, as he left that out, I realized, oh, you got I wonder, we got to have, I wonder if she has milk at home. And so he goes over to the dairy area and opens up and gets a gallon of milk, puts in the cart. And of course, if you get milk, that just kind of goes with the next thing, and that's chocolate chip cookies. And so he kind of wanders very close to the refrigerated area because I've been told he really likes those kind that come in the tube, you know, the dough deal, and you slice them, and the wife puts them in the oven, they come out hot with that milk. And I heard that's the kind that he likes, so he got those and threw them in the cart. Wandering around, the next thing you know, he went back by the, by the chip aisle. And of course, <laughs> saw the favorite chips, and... And I've been told he also, with all chips, had to have some salsa. And then, of course, if you're really going to have good chips, you've got to go over and get some guacamole. So goes over to the produce area and gets the avocados and all the stuff, the onions and, and the stuff that goes in there. And he put it all in there and uh, wanders around and he starts heading towards the front and past the frozen food and right there before him, was that third invention of man that will go down in history, the greatest invention of all, along with fire in the wheel. And that was bluebell ice cream. <laughs> Puts that in the cart, 
looks at it, realizes, and, and, and here's the amazing thing that that fellow realized, that's all under one roof. All in the same store you can get that stuff, okay? But he realized he had the whole cart full of necessities of life, checks out, gets home. He's pretty proud of himself. He walks in the house, carries the bags of groceries in, sets them on the counter, starts unpacking. His wife is watching this as he does, and he pulls it all out, and the bags are empty. And guess what she says? Where's the bread? You got it. The one non-negotiable item that she told him to get, he got distracted from. And he wandered down all the aisles, and all the aisles were good stuff, but he forgot to get the non-essential, non, I mean the non-negotiable essential item that she said to get. And so guess what? Back to the store to get the bread. Now, we've been in the book of Acts for a couple weeks. And you remember the very first week was the essential. The one thing that will define whether you're in the right place here or not, if you've been visiting with us, that one essential thing that Sherman Bible Church has been commanded by Jesus to do is the most important there's a lot of aisles we can wander through. We can go down the food pantry aisle. We can go over to assistant living aisle. We can go over to many other aisles that are all good things for churches to do. You know, youth ministry, kids ministry, and all those are good aisles. But if those aisles don't remind us to get the bread, we failed at what Jesus told us to do. And he told us to do that on at least five occasions that's been recorded. And that thing he told us to do is in Acts 1-8 where we started two weeks ago that we were to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And Matthew gathers it together and Matthew tells us that we are to do it and in the end result is that we've made disciples as we were witnesses in all nations. And we baptized them. And we've taught them to observe all things, whatever he commanded us. That is the essential. Everything else is good. But everything else must lead, must lead to making disciples. So we established that the first week. Then Jesus, when he gave that commandment out, he looked at that early church, 120 of them, it seems like what it was going to be, and he says, hold it just a minute before you go off half-cocked, and before you start making your plans, why don't you go and pray? And so they went up, and he said, I just want you to wait. And you wait till the Holy Spirit comes upon you. You'll know when he does. He didn't tell them how it was going to come. He didn't tell them how long they were going to wait. But he says, you go wait. And so according to chapter 1, Verse 14 last week, they went and they prayed, and we find out they were up there for 10 days waiting. And when the Holy Spirit came upon them, he enabled them, he empowered them to be able to carry out this essential task, which was so huge and so big. And last week we studied that, that the Holy Spirit came upon them in Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4. And the display of that and empowering of that, that they were able to speak in languages they didn't know themselves. And they went out and they were praising God on the streets and people were looking at that and they were saying, what does this mean? 
that I can hear them praising God in my own language? And then Peter stood up and said, let me tell you what it means. And he connected all the way back to Joel, where Joel had prophesied this. Because you see, the story that they're going to share was not just their story. It was a story all the way back to the Old Testament, all the way back actually to Genesis 1, all the way back beyond that to before the foundations of the earth. And that story continues on past this first century church, now 2,000 years later. It's still connected to the story that God has called us to tell as we're being witnesses. And so he enables them last week to do this. Well, last week when we left it in verse 41, after Peter had got up and explained what had taken place, after Peter had got up and told them what they had done and what they needed to do, because they asked, what shall we do? And he tells me you need to repent, change your way, change your thinking, change your belief, and trust in Christ. You'll have remission of sin. You'll express that outwardly by baptism. And as a result of that, in verse 41, chapter 2, page 772 in your chair Bible, it says that 3,000 of them accepted that message, and they were baptized that day. Now, that's where we left it last week. Now, the essential is to make disciples. And now we got 3,000 of them. The church in one service (laughs) on one day had gone from 120 now to 3,120 people. What are you going to do with 3,000 new babies, 3,000 new people who now we have to get them into the act of the essential? How are we going to do that? And we pick up the story in verse 42, how they did that in the early church how they were going to carry this out. Now, let me remind you, so listen very closely here, that Luke is a narrative. He's writing and recording what was going on in the church. What we're getting ready to read is just him looking back and maybe even being there and writing what was going on. You've got to keep that in mind because what we're getting ready to read is not a step-by-step manual on church activity. It is the way they did it in the first church. Now, if you continue to know, because you have to know the genre of Scripture and the context and interpret it properly, but we have here an idea that first church did it. So it does give us an example, and it does say this is how they did it, learn from it, but it's not say like, you have to meet every day. That's not what it's saying. It's just said how they did it. Now, there are scriptures and letters where Paul and Peter and James wrote later on where no doubt it's imperative, it's, and you can tell it by the tone and by the way it's written. This is a command, as Jesus did in Acts 1. This is a command. This is an imperative that you be a witness. And there's other places in the New Testament where we pick up direct orders inspired by the Holy Spirit. But what we're going to read here is a narrative telling us this is not step by step, but get a clue This might be a good way to do it. Now, why didn't God give us step-by-step of this first century church what it should look like 2,000 years later? Because 2,000 years later, we are totally different, aren't we? Culture, everything else. And so God gives us principles here that we should look at. But we can't say that, well, this is a command we've got to meet daily because they didn't. No. It's just an idea how they did it, and great to learn from. And so let's enter it with that thought in mind, how they did it. And maybe, possibly, we should emulate 
a lot of the principles of it, all right? So, in verse 42, we see in verse 41, 3,000 were saved. In verse 42, this is what took place next. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship and to the breaking of bread and to prayer. There was four activities that these early believers did with these 3,000 people. And we kind of see an outline there. And we're going to talk about that in just a minute. And I'm going to kind of pair it up just a little differently, not to twist anything, but just so it maybe is a little easier for you to grab on how they actually carried this out in that first century. We know that part of it. We know what historians tell us, that this early church, now all of a sudden, 3,000 people, that it was going to be pretty hard to manage. So how did that happen? Well, we know if we continue to read on, they had at least two meetings, meeting places where they got together. Continue to read. It says in verse 43, everyone was filled with awe. Some of your translations say were filled with fear. Not this fa- fact that they were just scared to death. It means that they were just awestruck. They had this fearful reverence of what was happening because God was doing something. And when God does something, we ought to take note and not take it lightly because they didn't. They saw what happened. They said, whoa, something's going on here. So they were awestruck. And it says, as they, as they saw this, everyone was filled with awe and many wonders and miracles and signs were done by the apostles. And all the believers, and that might be a good word to circle is all, all the believers were together and they had everything in common. They were selling their possessions and goods and they gave to everyone as he had need. Next verse, 46. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts, one place they would meet, and then they would break bread in their homes. So in verse 42, what they were doing we have to then kind of translate it down and say probably they were doing these things in their homes because historians tell us that the church basically met throughout the first century in homes, in groups of 30s, 20s, 15, whatever it might be. But they would also gather together in this early church at the temple courts because that was a central place and they were used to going there to the temple courts. And next week, we'll look at those temple courts and get a a picture in our mind what it looks like because we're going to find Peter there next week. But they would meet in this open space out in front of the temple, inside these walls in the court. And probably Peter or one of the apostles would go up to the steps and he would preach to these people, inspire them in a rally that day. And then it seems like they would go to their homes and carry out verse 42. All right, so what took place in verse 42 that might be very helpful to us to understand how we get the church acting out as Jesus wanted them to act out? First, they devoted. That's a word we don't hear much in church life today, devoted. Uh, it, It comes out in the average church, not Sherman Bible, of course, or any of you, maybe people in the next service, but not you folks, okay? That they were actually devoted. But not, you know, it's not like the other folks around the world that church is a once a week experience. I talked to a guy this week. I had three occasions by the end of the week to, to talk about Jesus. I really got my radar up this week because I challenged you to do that and I thought I better do it too. 
And one guy I started a conversation with, he said this. He said, you know, I go to church every Sunday. I said, you do? Yeah. I said, great. I said, and I said, and what about it? He said, oh, it makes me feel really good. And we continued to talk, and basically what he told me, my church life is every week, one hour, and I feel good about it. And I said, so that's about it. Is he engaged in anything else? Oh, no, I just, just that one hour, I feel good. And I thought about that, and I said, you know, and of course he wasn't in my church, so I couldn't really get on him. But if you were in my church, I'd tell you the same thing I said a couple months ago. If that all church mounts to you here at Sherman Bible, buy a boat. Yeah. Go buy a boat and scratch off that hour and enjoy it. Because if that's all it is, is an hour a week of feel good, all right, help me for this hour, you're missing it. So you either got to get it or get a boat. One of the two, all right? But they were devoted. You say, why? Because I think they understood what was at stake. They realized what Jesus said, you know, about 11 days ago was serious stuff. He gave us, he handed to us his authority. He handed to us his plan. And he kind of said, there's no other plan but you guys. So you got to get this thing done all to the end of the world. And we're sitting here in Jerusalem wondering how we're going to do it. So we better get devoted to this thing. We better get committed passionately to this thing. And that's where it all started. That was the tone of this group of people as they came together, passionately realizing what was at stake. Now, so let's see what happened. We're going to do it not in line notes this time. We're going to do it in a circle. So let's look at the circle, how this comes about, all right? It says that they did four things. And I want to rearrange it and start with fellowship because that's kind of in there. It says that they, they committed, they devoted themselves to the fellowship, all right, that was the first thing it says, and to the breaking of bread. So let's lump these two together, and let me kind of help you understand what it is. It was a sense that this devoted to fellowship was a sense that they belonged, that they belonged to something. They gathered, and they were belong, okay? The word fellowship, that's kind of a weird word for us to really understand it today because it got kind of... Messed up over the years. We think it's the potluck dinner, the donuts and coffee, you know, whatever. It's none of those. The word fellowship is the word koinonia, which comes from the, it means common, which if you keep working on that word out of the original meaning, it means a common, a common cause, a common commitment, a koinonia, a community that has a purpose to it. So they came together to belong to a common cause. And it says that they broke bread when they came together. Now, you say, Dennis, what does that mean? Well, let me tell you, first of all, these were Jews, remember? So this was a common custom. That if you got together with people in your home, you would break bread and you would actually have a meal together. And that's really how this whole thing started. This was part of their custom. They were used to doing that. You say, well, what would happen when they'd come together? In a normal setting, Jewish people come together, they would sit around a table. Many times it was in a horseshoe shape. It wasn't just a long table. It was kind of a horseshoe shape, and it was low to the ground, and they would have pillows laying there, and you would actually lay to eat food. I mean, that way you don't have to go so far. You just kind of scuff it in the mouth, you know? 
great way to eat, wouldn't it? I mean, you know, that's kind of how they did it. Now, this is how the meal would start. The host of the home would stand as the meal would begin with those who were around the table. And he'd hold up a round piece of bread and he would break it. And he would hold it up and he would give thanks. And that's how they started the meal, for the food. He would then pass the loaf to the next person. They would break the bread and would go around the table. They would dip it normally in olive oil like any good Italian restaurant, you know. And their diet basically was the Mediterranean diet. It was before we got it. And it was fish, basic meat in those days. It was fish and it was fruit and olives and bread. They didn't have a lot of preservatives in it because they probably made it earlier that day. Pretty good diet. So they would eat. Now, because this had a common cause, a koinonia, and it was part of how we're going to take the essential and figure out how to carry this essential out with the enabling the Holy Spirit, and we've got to enact what Jesus told us, they met for divine purpose. It wasn't just a, hey, let's get together and, and uh, talk about the playoffs tonight. You know, I don't think they got together and said, hey, what do you think the Jerusalem Jets are going to do tonight? Well, I think the Bethlehem Bombers are going to beat them, you know? I don't, think, I don't think that was a conversation. Because I think what they did, from what I can tell, when he broke bread and said, in just giving thanks, he would stand, and he says, remember what Jesus told us. This is his body that was broken for us. I think that's how they started the breaking of bread and the meal, because they remembered what Jesus had said not that far ago. You know, about 60-something days ago that he said, when you come together, you break bread. And no longer just break it. But when you break it, remember, this is my body. And in the breaking of that bread, when he would do that, and they would enter into prayer over that bread, remind them of the broken body, they were inviting Jesus into the midst of their common meal together. I think that would change the tone of the meal. They would eat the meal. I have a feeling that the conversation now was far beyond playoffs, far beyond turkey season, far beyond recipes. I think probably they were discussing what we're going to see in just a moment, the Word of God. And they were discussing their essential reason to exist and to have dinner together. And so they have the meal. At the end of the meal, this was the Jewish custom. At the end of every meal, when you'd have guests, the host would stand one more time and he would take a cup of wine and he would pray a prayer of benediction and he would take a drink out of it and pass it to the next person and around the table the cup would go. But because they started with Jesus, I think this early church then took that cup and the host with that glass would remind them, this is my blood which was given for you. And this is the new covenant. And they would start the meal with Jesus and they would end into Jesus in the middle of this meal. Jesus was in the presence and they would talk about their essentials and they'd encourage each other. And they'd have the closing with the common cup. If you are a calm group leader, if you are in a community group in our church, could I suggest to you 
You might start every community group like that. You can do it. You say, do we got the little cups? No, you know, you don't have the little cups. Get you a shot glass or something. I don't care. You know, <laughs> you know what about the little bread? Get you, you know, some Oreos, anything. Just something that would symbolize that you're starting this with Jesus and you're taking that bread of his body and that cup. That's how they did it. And they still do that the way today in a lot of the other countries. We don't do that exactly like that here. We have communion. Remember, it. I remember the first time I took communion in India. You know how they do it in India? We were in a church packed in about 250 people, hot. I mean, just one of those June days. And, and the pastor at the end of the service, and I didn't know what was going to happen. He, I could understand the translation. We're going to have communion. And I'm looking around like, where's the trays? There were no trays. Where's the cups? There were no cups. One cup. I moved up towards the front. (laughs) While he was praying, man, I was right there. Because I'm getting that cup second. Because I know he was going to take it first. I remember this way. So he took it, and I reached out. I'll take it. And I took it. My poor wife sat in the very back. All right. Now, that's, you know, that's just the way they do it there. They do it in a lot of countries. So, but that's how they did. They passed the cup. They'd have communion. And that would be the bookends of this breaking of their bread so they could stay focused on the essential. I would suggest that many of our comm groups raise the level of why we have comm groups. And I would suggest on a regular basis you have communion together. So that's how they started. They'd have a full meal. They would end up reminding themselves, I suppose, and I really believe from what I sense of historians and Jewish customs and what Jesus said, by drinking a cup, remind them of their blood. That's where they started. Belonging, breaking, being together. Now, they could do it daily because you got to remember, Jerusalem was only 300 square acres. I mean, we got people today that live in Bonham. We got people that live in Gainesville, 60 miles apart. I don't think you'll get together every day. But you see, when you back your camel out and the guy backs his camel out and you look at each other, and you say, hey, we're getting together and talk about the cause now? Yeah, well, let's get together and get, you know, Abraham over there and get Joseph over there and let's get, and all the people, I and mean, let's get together at night and let's have a meal. That's, they were used to that in their custom anyway, and that's why they could do it daily. A little harder to do, 2010. That's why it's not a line-by-line instruction. It's a picture. It's a pattern for us. Second thing on our chart is they got together to belong. Because they realized this task is so great, we better belong and hang in together and keep focused. And then it says this, and they gave themselves to the apostles' doctrine and to prayer. We can't just remain stagnant. We have to grow. We have to grow in our lives, and we're only going to do it through the word of God, through the apostles' doctrines, and through prayer. Now, you say, what was the apostle doctrine? Well, remember, they didn't have a copy of the Bible, did they? So, they would go down, possibly, and hear the apostles teach down there at the temple courts. And they would hear that, and they would come back in their homes and discuss the apostles' doctrine, what they just taught, what they'd been teaching. They did have, some of them might have had 
some records of, of the Old Testament. They had the words of Jesus that many had heard and memorized. And so I think it was a conglomeration of the apostles' doctrines, which was repeating what their instructions and repeating what Jesus said. And they were going over that and memorizing it and saying, how do we live this out? How do we do this? And let's pray over it. And it says, and they were committed. Remember, all these were preceded by two words. They devoted. They were devoted to this. They were committed to meeting together. They were committed to that. We cannot carry this out unless we are together. We've got to have the strength of each other. We cannot carry this out unless we remember that Jesus has to be invited into our lives every day in a sense of his presence as we walk. We cannot carry this out if we don't grow in God's word and in apostles' teaching. And we cannot carry this out unless we pray. Why is it 2,000 years later when I say pray and we talk about prayer in the Western church that some of you look at me like a calf in a new gate? And I say, we're coming to prayer tonight at 4 o'clock. And it's like some of you just push. Now, I'm not coming to that stinking prayer meeting. I don't like to pray with people. I don't. What has happened in 2,000 years? That prayer is like, you know, it's like getting a hickey or something. I don't want to do that. Everybody know? I mean, it's like getting some disease. Why would I? Folks, it is the innate. It was in their nature. This is what we do. We got the task that's so big, we got to call upon him. We've got to worship and praise him. We will do it together. And some of you who struggle with that, that's why you need to be here at 4 o'clock today. Because if you're struggling, listen, learn how. And when I hear people, I just don't pray much. You don't pray much? What would that do to your marriage if you didn't talk much? What would that do with your kids if you didn't talk to them very often? What does it do to your own spiritual walk if we don't talk with our Father? Daily, individually, and together. This task was so serious, so big, they knew we just can't do it. And our first act that we're studying in the book of Acts, these first 12 chapters, and every chapter except chapter 5, prayer is mentioned. You'll see the church going to prayer. You'll see when Peter's put in jail, the church prays. You see that when something's happening, they've got to pray. We see, pray. we see prayer happening and buildings shaking because the church knew that if this is the essential, it is so big that the Holy Spirit has to help us and we have to go to prayer. We can't survive without it. And yet today, the, 20th, the, the 21st century church survives without prayer. Do you know in the last decade, the church in America has spent $15 billion in the cause of Christianity? And we've gone backwards. Do you know that? That the church of Jesus is going backwards and not forwards. Well, man, there's a couple mega churches down in Dallas. I saw them. Woo, they're doing something. They're not doing squat compared to what's happening around the world. Do you know where the biggest churches in the world are? They're not in the United States. They're in Korea. They're in Brazil. They're in Africa. And I have been in the largest church in the world in Seoul, Korea, on three times. And let me tell you, what is the staple of that church? Prayer. You think we pray here a little in service? You ought to go there. They not only just pray in their services, they, and they have the largest network of home churches in the world. 100,000 people in the church 
all that in the home groups where they're praying, they're saturating their town. No wonder people are being saved daily. If you're a member of that church, you think we have a high requirement? If you're a member of the Church of Soul, full gospel church, three days out of your year, you have to go, you're required to go to Prayer Mountain and spend three days in a catacomb by yourself praying and fasting. And they pray all Friday nights. I've been in a Friday night prayer meeting where it goes all night long with 20,000 people. In America, we've got technology and we've got nice lights and we've got buildings and we've got marketing schemes and we struggle and go backwards. The Western church. Because you see, prayerlessness is our independence of God. When we don't pray, we don't need him. Prayers, throwing ourselves upon an almighty God and say, we cannot exist if you don't break in here, God. We need you. So at 4 o'clock today, we pray. At every service, we pray. Will we pray? Then is we're going to keep praying. We'll keep praying more, folks. We have to if we're going to do the essential. It focuses. Well, that's what the church did. Here's the third thing they did. Keep reading. Third thing, as you keep reading, it says not only did they do that, did they pray, but they, it says down in verse 45, as a response to being so focused, what did they do? It says they sold their possessions and goods and they gave to everyone as he had need. You say, oh man, all right, let me help you relax, take a deep breath. This A, number one, I got to clarify it, this is not a political speech, so some of you just relax, you have to take a cold shower, Okay. Is not Republican, Democrat, Tea Party, or any other party. This is not communism, A. Because communism is mandatory. You don't have, this is voluntary, number one, okay? Number two, they did according to needs, not equality. According to everything got handed out differently. Number three, they didn't sell everything they had. They didn't say that. Because there were some who still had lands to sell. Some still had every other thing. But if they had something there, they well, we can get rid of that camel. We got two camels. Why don't we sell that camel and take it in there? We got some other things. I, you know, they didn't sell everything somewhere we got that. But they, whatever they had, if there was a need, they'd keep selling and getting it until they could meet the need. So it wasn't communism. It wasn't government-type feel here. And I got to, here's my political thing, and just take a deep breath, all right? You see, where America went wrong is when the church quit doing this. You see, if you know history, the church did this until the Depression. And then the government said, we'll take over. (laughs) And they have done a great job. (laughs) You know why it doesn't work? Because you don't teach responsibility, you don't teach character, you give people a fish rather than teaching the fish. And that's why government, Republicans, Democrats, whoever it might be, will never work in socialism and giving people things if you don't teach. Because God said, let the church do it and let families do it. A man doesn't take care of his own family. He shall not eat. I can get off on that. But I'm just saying, this is how serious it is. The church and its people, we handed this over years ago And it's the biggest mess we've ever had now because you don't have people changing lives. And that's what the gospel does. You're meeting needs with Jesus, okay? And that's what they did. So what were they doing? They were serving. It says that they were, they saw a need, they would meet. Why? Because they're in 
close proximity. They're in a, a small group here, and they're looking around. Hey, Joe, you have a need? But here's what I have to twist. You ready? This is a twist. This is the Dennis Henderson twist. It could be wrong, but it could be right. We've always thought they just took care of those in the church. It says everyone's need. I think they looked next door. Said, you know that family over there? You know, they have some needs. Let's go over and meet them. I think it wasn't just the church this was happening. I think it was all around. You say, how do you know? Here's the thought that hit me this week. Finally had a good thought. Verse 47. It said they were praising God, enjoying favor of all the people. These guys, of all the people, why? Because they were going next door as a group say, hey, we want to love you with Jesus. Here, let's, let's, let's help you with that. Let's give you something. Let's take care of your family. Whatever, it's just all the needs, not just financial needs. I think they went over. I think it poured out of their homes, out into the neighborhoods, and the neighborhoods were being affected, and all the people were having favor. Let me give you some. Here's my prediction. You ready? This is important. If you would love your neighbor and meet their needs, I think they'll like you. Isn't that brilliant? If I actually love my neighbor and met their needs, you know, go over and say, hey, I can help you with that. Let me care for your kids while you and your husband go out. Let me, let me help you fix your car, whatever it is. Or I've got some people at our church, we'll help you get a car. If we did that in Jesus' name, I think people would love you. And that's what's happening in the church. You see, the persecution that came to church wasn't coming from the normal people. It was coming from the religious leaders. That's where it's coming from. They had favor with people in the neighborhood. Why? Because the church was being Jesus in the neighborhood. Got me? And someone shake their head like, someone, you get that? You see, they were enacting this thing of living Jesus out there etc. I asked you last week to do that. And some of you did it, I'm sure. I asked you to send me an email and some of you didn't. I, I thought some of you probably were thinking, I got to send you something. I had four converts. No, I didn't ask for converts. And so let me say it again this week for your homework. I don't need converts. I just want to tell me how you live Jesus out. And I started getting, I didn't bring them all because I knew of our time, but here's a few, I mean, here's this one lady said, you know, she said, Dennis, this is how it happened this week. I was able to encourage my own family. I was there to encourage the, the friend with helping her downsize in their home. I, I was able to connect with another friend and help with her child. I was able to give, uh, give more than they asked. I prayed specifically for requests because I asked, because I asked for specific needs. I was amazed at the daily opportunities demonstrated through, ser- through uh, servanthood to Christ. And on she went. All I'm saying is, folks, what I'm wanting to try to help you with, and some of you start, get focused. Don't leave the house every day just trying to meet a, an agenda and a do list on your schedule. Get Jesus into your day. Here's one. This fella, and I know who he is, and I won't, I'm not giving names, he sells mobile homes. And he said, Dennis, I met a lady selling a home, and I asked her to church. I suspect, because I know this is probably the first time he asked anybody at church because he's so brand new and coming. You know, he was focused. Uh, this gal had a bad week. 
But she still lived for Jesus. I won't go into hers. Here's a guy. He said, Dennis, I left last week. I talked to my friends about Sunday's message. And, you know, I asked some of my some friends to come to the service. They won't be here Sunday, but they'll be at the men's barbecue. And I knew that was a good starting place. And I'm looking forward to these guys coming. And they can experience the presence of other strong men. On and on. Some variety. But let me, maybe this is typical. This is how it's played out. Says Dennis, I was cleaning out some shoes out of my kid's closet that they'd outgrown, and I decided to run a pair over to my neighbor for her little girl to wear. As I rang the doorbell, it took her for a while to come to the door. She said it had been one of those days, and she welcomed me into her home, and she and, and had her hands full of tending with her little girl, three-year-old girl, while she was that she was trying to potty train. Uh, she was trying to potty train her while she had twin boys gated in the living room, crying out for for their for attention. Says we got to talking about dinner and what were and all the pressure in her life. Says she turned to me and said, "I can't even think about that now, about fixing dinner." Says you know. Says I'm just about done. She said I was reading Acts that morning, as you said. I praying God would give me an opportunity to be get involved in the world evangelism and put into practice. And so that evening I seized the opportunity and I took him over pizza for dinner. And she said. As they saw the dinner come to her, she said, and I won't tell the lady's name, she said, you rock. And she said, no, I don't. Jesus rocks. And he loves you. You see, just think, if that's the way we did our daily lives, thinking there's a lot of opportunity. Let me just clue in on one. Don't have to convert them because I'm going to show you something else. They devoted themselves to four things. Not one word said that they devote themselves to evangelism. But I thought that was an essential thing. He didn't say go witness. He said what? Be a witness. Be a witness. Eventually the verbiage comes out. But if you'll notice that one spot that said they devoted themselves to evangelism. They didn't say, well, we've got to take that bridge course, how to draw the bridge. We've got to go take the EE course. Those are all good. We've got to do the, no. They just did it. And what was the result? As a result, as they're winning favor, people, it says in verse 47, that they added to their number daily those who were being saved. You see, I do believe we should verbally talk about Jesus. And I believe we should ask some people to cross the line as the Holy Spirit prepares their heart. But I believe preceding that and along with that, a focus is this is essential. This is where we're headed. I'm going to love that person. I'm going to walk across the street. I'm going to help the guy at the office. Our comm group's going to stop talking about the NBA playoffs so much. We're going to take bread and we're going to take juice and we're going to invite Jesus into the comm group. And we're going to figure out as a comm group in the lesson this week, how can we live this out? Because it doesn't, you know, it's just ordinary people doing ordinary things in the name of Jesus and saying, I'm doing it because Jesus wants me to do this for you. Not leaving here this Sunday and say, boy, I feel good. I'll be back next Sunday. No. Leaving here and say, wow, tomorrow my assignment, and here it is, it's in your notes. My assignment is that I'm going to continue to read I'm going to continue to read Acts 1.8 every day to remind me why I exist. I'm going to then pray for the Holy Spirit to alert me to daily opportunities. God, just open me up. Show me what's around me that I've been missing. Probably they've been there for months. I just haven't seen it. 
And then I'm going to read Acts 2, 42, 47 and make those plans to live this out. That means I'm going to have to belong. I'm going to need to find a discipleship, a small group, some type of gathering of believers to be in during the week. And then I will email Dennis my story this week. I want my emails full this week as you share the experience. Now look at the chart one more time because this is a pretty big task. Go back to the circle. Here's how it all ends up. We belong, we grow, we serve. Did you notice this is not a linear line? This is circular. Because you see, as the thing that's inside you, the person inside you, the Holy Spirit who's in you, he's empowering you in all these areas, and it starts to move, this wheel in motion. Because as it goes on, someone's going to come in and belong. Say, I want to get in that group. I want to be among you guys. And they get saved then they grow, and they serve, and someone else comes along. It's not linear, it's circular. Father, today, help us this day to understand our purpose for existence. Help us to understand how important it is that you enable us, empower us to enact the essential thing you've called us to do. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, feel free to visit our website at shermanbible.com or call anytime during our office hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 5 p.m. at 903-893-7795.